0: I went out walking Through streets Paved with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside A church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering
1: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends or neighbors who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch streaming video from anywhere in the world. I Was a Born Again Mormon is available on downloadable PDF form through the internet. All you do is go to www.bornagainmormon.com. Click on the get the book and you download it and you have the copy in your hand within minutes. doesn't cost you a cent. Uh, We invite you to join us every Sunday to examine the word of God verse by verse uh, in a never denominational Bible study. Uh, We meet at the University of Utah on Sunday afternoons uh, from 2.30 to 3.30, and then we meet in Logan uh, at Utah State from 7 to 8 p.m. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information uh, for times and uh, directions. I haven't mentioned a great resource for people, and that is www.utlm.org. That's Utah Lighthouse Ministry. And uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, uh, Sandra and Gerald Tanner uh, started it. Sandra runs it now as Gerald passed away a year or two ago. And it's a great uh, place for historical, documented uh, history of the LDS church. Go stop by, see for yourself what they don't tell you. How about a couple of up-and-coming events? First, on Friday, November 20th, and Saturday, November 21st, I've been invited to speak at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Sandy, Utah. At these meetings, I'll be speaking about how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your LDS family, friends, and neighbors. Both of those events begin at 7 p.m. If you live in the area, come on over, or even if you don't, and see the great people at Good Shepherd and uh, their heart for the Lord. And then on Saturday morning, November 29th, I'll be a substitute pastor at Sandy Ridge Community Church for their morning service begins at 11 a.m. Join us and experience Sandy Ridge Community Church. We think that'll be a great time. Finally, this Saturday night, we have, uh, we're going to launch The Gray Generation. It's our third Alathia ministry program. We, it's been in uh, concept form for years, literally, and now it's kind of starting to take fruition. So we're going to launch it live, a call-in program for your teenagers. We hope you'll get them to uh, tune in and uh, listen to the things that we're going to have to say about their life in this fallen world. We had quite a bit of response from our atheist viewers and former atheist viewers who were either very pleased or not pleased at all with our approach uh, to speaking to people who did not believe in God. Our purpose was to speak to people who had abandoned their faith because they were burned out on god or religion due to their previous religious experience typically in mormonism in this part of the world there is a huge audience who fits this bill our purpose was to get them to consider god as the most logical and reasonable form of faith as opposed to uh, the faith in a non-god if this not did not please you if you were insulted by our methods Um, We really don't care. Uh, Our purpose is to uh, do our job in calling people uh, and and trying to get them to commit their lives to the offer he is constantly giving them. For every 10 emails we've received saying that you thought we handled it wrong, we did get one email from someone saying the show caused them to reconsider God as, as the choice for their life. And we consider those uh, numbers a success. This was our desire from the start. Last week, I had a phone conversation um, with a man who wondered about my perspectives now that I've been involved in the ministry for a number of years. As a Christian who has never been LDS, he read our book and he's watched many of our shows and was curious about what we have learned, and at this point, um, if, we, if I can make some summary statements about the Mormon Christian tension that goes on. He asked me, what, what is the greatest misunderstanding people have about our ministry, our television programming, and our efforts? And I'd like to share part of my response. Alethea Ministries is focused on reaching, teaching and serving people in the cause and name of Jesus Christ, to reach out to others in his name, to teach others about him, and to serve others as he commanded. Now, it may surprise you, but this RTS, reach, teach, and serve, has been our mission statement from the beginning, from the very get-go of the ministry. Now, you might notice a few things about this mission statement, and one is that we don't say anything about the Latter-day Saints in it. Um, Neither do we say anything about any other church or any other religion. Why? Well, we don't truly care initially about what church a person belongs to or what faith they are involved in. That is not our purpose. We try to reach out wherever people are, teach, and then hopefully serve in the name of Jesus Christ. What memberships people have or what place they are going to in in, in the early part of the relationship doesn't matter. We care about reaching out to all and are well aware that there are many people who are in accepted Christian churches, many people sitting in accepted Christian churches who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ either. So it's not just for the, for the Latter-day Saints. Um, our focus is on individuals and families having a regenerative relationship with Jesus Christ and with him alone. It just so happens that I was LDS for 40 years. And um, so we speak to the LDS people on this particular program about this relationship and about what prevents them as Mormons from knowing him. Uh, uh, Yes, we go after their histories and their doctrines and their practices, but our bottom line desire and goal is to get any and all to ask themselves, have I been born again? And if not, Why not? And how can I tell? And how come I wonder if I am or not? How come I haven't been able to say yes, I have? Every now and again, we're blessed with an opportunity to meet a Latter-day Saint who actually understands our ministry. I I did the other day, a guy who's fully into the church, but he understands what we are trying to do. And that's kind of a blessing when people don't come at us and say, all you are is anti-Mormon. We're not anti-Mormon. We are certainly anti-Mormonism, and there's a big difference. And we repeat that every now and then, so you know. And um, at the same time, and to me in kind of an even more disturbing way, we face a growing cancer of radical Christian dogmatists, who literally make it their business to scrutinize and police the body for anyone they think who acts differently or believes differently than themselves. I mean, these people are fanatically frightening. And to receive Jesus by faith, to experience rebirth, to study and read his word, and to love others as a result of their faith is never enough for these types. Never they, like many LDS, want total conformity to the way they think, the way they see things, the way they believe. And if you don't conform exactly to how they say it should be done, then you're anathema. And, and let me make my position clear, and this is going to sound radical, but I would rather have remained an active, born-again, Bible-believing, loving Jesus Mormon than to ever join forces with these mean-spirited, narrow-minded, petty fanatics who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. And you know who you are. And with that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we, uh, we love you and need you. And um, we place this show, we place our lives uh, in your hands. And we cannot do anything without you and here. Uh, the sincerity of our hearts. Bless our volunteers. Bless our audience members here in the studio and wherever they are in this state, nation, and world. Uh, Help those who are seeking truth and uh, let this be part of their quest. In Jesus' name, amen. We left off two weeks ago uh, with Utah Polygamy Uh, under fire by the federal government. The year was 1885. LDS president, third president, John Taylor, and his two counselors had to flee the country because of uh, polygamous status. Actually, one fled the country and two fled the area. Two years later, in 1887, politicians uh, passed the Edmunds-Tucker bill or act which allowed wives involved in polygamous marriages to actually testify against their own husbands in a court of law. This was unheard of before. The Edmonds Tucker Act also made um, adultery a felony, and then it hit the Mormon church right where they cannot stand to be hit in the assets. The church was disincorporated, and seizure of all church real estate valued at $50,000 was set in place. Suddenly, But like before, the Mormons started to publicly deny the practice altogether. And plural marriage went underground where it has remained even to some extent to this very day. In 1890, nearly 1,300 Mormons had been jailed for polygamy. In 1889, Wilford Woodruff had taken over as new prophet of the church, and he literally inherited a nightmare. Personally, Woodruff believed and practiced polygamy and even announced that essentially nothing, no one on earth could stop it from continuing on. He also believed that a favorable ruling from the Supreme Court would challenge the constitutionality of the Edmunds Tucker Act, but he believed wrong. And bottom line, Woodruff was faced with either allowing federal marshals to dismantle and sell off the unfinished Salt Lake Temple or to discontinue polygamy. This is why and where Mormon polygamy began to erode. It had absolutely nothing to do with a revelation. I make this, I say this emphatically because missionaries will often say, well, polygamy was just sort of part of our early church, and the, and the prophet was told by God no more, but that is simply not true. It was a matter of survival, and God gave his convenient revelation. You're going to hear about the revelation in a second. Woodruff, after having on a number of occasions defended the existence of plural marriage and claiming it would never go away, released an official manifesto on September 25th of 1890, which admonished every Mormon to no longer enter into polygamy or into plural marriage. Said Woodruff, quote, inasmuch as laws have been enacted by Congress forbidding plural marriages, I hereby declare my intention to submit to those laws and to use my influence with the members of the church over which I preside to have them do likewise, end quote. Listen to this again. When LDS people that say polygamy was just a temporary thing and that the stoppage of it was a revelation from God, listen to Wolford Woodruff's words. He says, inasmuch as laws have been enacted by Congress forbidding plural marriage, I hereby declare my intention to submit to those laws and to use my influence with the members of the church uh, which I preside to have them do likewise. Uh, author Richard Abanus points out in his book, One Nation Under Gods, that the revelation differed dramatically from other revelations that have ever been given to the LDS, and he lists the following differences as to why. He says, before it was issued, this so-called revelation was written, rewritten, edited, and re-edited many times behind closed doors by various persons ranging from Mormon politicians to LDS apostles to non-Mormon legal advisors. Also, it was addressed to whom it may concern a decidedly secular phrase that failed to hold the authority of thus saith the Lord declaration that other revelations supposedly had. It was publicly issued as a press release from Washington by Utah delegate Congressman John T. Kane, rather than being presented to the congregation by church authorities at a church conference, which was how other revelations had always been presented. It was not signed by the LDS Church First Presidency, but was only signed by Wilford Woodruff. Uh, Hence the first person, uh, uh, how he alluded to himself as, I will do, I will do, I will do this, I will do this. Not, thus saith the Lord, not the church, not we, but I. Woodruff carefully worded the manifesto to to read, I now publicly declare that my advice to the LDS is to refrain from contracting any marriage forbidden by law in the land which meant that the entire declaration was Woodruff's personal advice rather than a commandment from God. Thus, a sort of theological loophole was given for disobedience. The point, Mormonism head prophet, seer, and revelator, Wilford Woodruff issued a statement that would appease federal officers and the Supreme Court so that the liquidation of LDS assets would cease and their petition for statehood would be granted. But in the end, faithful Latter day Saints continued to practice polygamy with the actual illegal marriages being secretly performed by leading members of the church, including Wilford Woodruff, who issued the manifesto in 1890. Lying. Either to bring about a greater good or to protect the image of the church has always been an acceptable practice in Mormonism. It was the foundation of lies from the top upon which the religion was built. Even the missionaries today, in most cases, thinking that they have a right to withhold information to seeking investigators will, for the good of the cause, not reveal all that the investigator would want to know before they join the church. Most members do the same thing. Now, I want you to know, I've said this before. I personally have no problem with a church that says, we worship the tuft of hair on a goat's chin. Let it save us. I don't care. Let them alone. I'll try to teach them Jesus. I'll share them Jesus. But if I ask them, what do you worship? And they say the tuft on a goat's chin. I'll say, well, are you sure you want to worship that? Yes, we do. Fine and dandy. The problem I have with Mormonism is it lies to you. That's the problem, and it continues to be deceptive. Not only in their missional efforts out there with the boys knocking on the doors, they get people baptized and hooked in without them knowing anything about the church. And so, and then to the top, they still don't. This is the thing we fight against. If Mormonism came out and said, this is exactly how we believe, this is what we think, there's no equivocation here, well, we'd leave you alone. The the second thing that we attack, however, is that they claim that this is Christianity. Those two points are what we go after. While the facts today proved absolutely contrary, Wilfred Woodruff then openly swore in court that polygamous men were to only live with one wife, and that polygamy was prohibited. Listen to an extract from Wilford Woodruff's testimony in in the Supreme Court when he testified. Tell me, can you hear the wordsmithing going on? Listen to what he says and then listen to the facts. He writes, the U.S. uh, asks, state whether or not it would be contrary to the law of the church for any member of the church to enter into or contract a plural marriage. Wilford Woodruff said it would be contrary to the laws of the church. What would be the penalty, Woodruff said? Any person entering into plural marriage after that date of 1890 when he issued this manifesto would be liable to become excommunicated from the church. U.S. asked, do you understand that that language was to be expanded and to include a further statement of living or associating in plural marriage by those already in the status? What that question is is saying, listen, do you understand that people who already have polygamous wives cannot continue in that, that they have to live with only one wife? Woodruff said, yes, sir. I intended the proclamation to cover the ground, to keep the laws, to obey the law myself, and expected the people to obey the law. U.S., was the manifesto intended to apply to the church everywhere? Yes, sir, said Woodruff. U.S., in every nation and every country? Woodruff, yes, sir, as far as I had any knowledge in the matter. U.S., in places outside the United States as well as within the United States? Woodruff. Yes, sir. We are given no liberties for any into into that anywhere. U.S., unlawful cohabitation as it is named and spoken of should also stop as well as future polygamous marriages? Yes, sir. That has been the intention. And that has been your views and explanation of it, the U.S. asks? Yes, sir. That has been my view. D. Michael Quinn writes in his examination, he's a great historian of LDS uh, information, writes, quote, Wilfred Woodruff personally performed seven new plural marriages to be performed in Mexico. He also approved polygamous marriages for a couple of Mexican residents as early as 1891, which is a year after he issued the manifesto. He delegated George Q. Cannon, his first counselor, to give approval for plural marriages from 1892 to 1898. That approval was in the form of written letters. Woodruff himself married a new plural wife in 1897, seven years after he said the manifesto said it would not be done, and after he testified to the US Senate that there would be no more polygamy. Period. Done. Ended. Over. Yes, sir. Liar. 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 He's a liar. He's a liar, just like Brigham Young was a liar. He's a liar, just like Joseph Smith was a liar. They all, this, the church was built on a foundation of deception. I don't know about John Taylor. I haven't found the deceptions of him, if he has them. But those other guys all lied. And so did the future presidents, which we're going to see. My friends, there's no easy way to put it, except it's built on a foundation of lies. And you want to continue to follow it. Do you think they're telling you the truth now? The same fruit exists. Abraham Cannon wrote in his journal that Wilford Woodruff told his apostles that he was in such a position on the witness stand that he could not answer other than the way he did, end quote. That is in the the journal of the apostles' records when they had a meeting about it. He said, I was on the stand. I couldn't say anything but what I did. Another lie. Back in 1811, Apostle Matthew Kelly said in a statement before the Council of 12, quote, I have always been taught that when the brethren were in a tight place, that it would not be amiss to lie to help them out. One of the first presidents of the church made the statement some years ago that he would, quote, lie like hell to help his brethren. So LDS Wilfred Woodruff was a liar along with the others. And why did he lie? So Mormonism could retain its assets and so Utah could become a state. Trusting that the religious group and their leaders was telling the truth, the US government in 1896 granted in good faith statehood to the Utah territory. And guess what happened? Utah polygamous marriages rose immediately, which caused the Salt Lake Tribune to accuse LDS leaders of grand deception. The very year statehood was granted, a future president of the LDS Church, Joseph F. Smith, speaking at a meeting house dedication, defied the manifesto and said, quote, take care of your polygamous wives. We don't care for Uncle Sam now, meaning we got statehood, we're gonna do what I want. The point is Mormonism will always do what Mormonism wants to survive. Now compare this to the body of Christ. This is one of the major differences. The Christian church has always said, we will tell the truth, even if it means being killed for it. We will tell the truth if it means martyrdom. We are not going to try to save the the Christian church ourselves. That's not our duty. Our duty is to testify of Christ. And if we're killed for it, so be it. Mormonism has always been the difference. They've always said we need to protect this earthly institution, even if it means lying." Wilford Woodruff suddenly died in 1898 and Lorenzo Snow, a practicing polygamist, took the helm. When LDS historian B.H. Roberts was denied a seat in the House of Representatives because he was a polygamist, the Mormon leadership tried to circumvent the illegal nature of polygamy by authoring what was called the Evans Bill, which would make aspects of plural marriage legal again. Even though the bill was vetoed by the Utah governor at the time, the American people got wind of this Evans bill that the Mormons were trying to reintroduce uh, now as a state in the union and widespread national widespread uh, uproar uh, commenced. And this culminated in an exhaustive investigation into the uh, church by the U.S. Senate, which sort of came to a public head in something that was called the Reed Smoot Trials. You see, there, this, there was this uh, Mormon senator named Reed Smoot, and he had a congregation... Uh, <laughs> congressional seat hanging by a thread because of him being a Mormon, and so it opened this whole thing up. Moving forward in 1801, Lorenzo Smith, now the fifth president of the church, died, and Joseph F. Smith became the sixth president, and the man who had Uh, many wives and after the manifesto and, uh, even encouraged others to break the manifesto secretly between 1802, uh, between 1902 and 1904, he personally okayed all sorts of plural marriages to secretly occur. Uh, but even though Smith was in favor of the Mormon's eternal principle, U S government pressures forced him to, uh, take some drastic measures to end it. Uh, as an acceptable practice among the Utah Latter-day Saint faithful. Naturally, uh, Joseph F. Smith was a liar like the prophets before him who preceded him. But this time, the Reed-Smoot hearings uh, exposed the theater of lies that these spiritual leaders of Mormonism told. Next week, we're gonna discuss the Reed-Smoot hearings and hopefully wrap up this, this segment of Mormon history. Mormonism would recover. They ultimately uh, excised the actual practice of polygamy and they regained some national forgiveness by implementing this progressively rolling larger, bigger public relations campaign. And still uh, today, like yesterday, they never, ever present the whole truth. Um, They only tell you what they want you to hear, not what you need to. And so the practice of saying one thing publicly and doing another privately has in many ways among the Mormons become a way of life, even today. It's present in every missionary discussion. It's alive every time a Mormon shares their faith. And it oozes out of every public relations campaign the Latter-day Saint Church puts upon us. You've been warned. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers, please, LDS callers, if at all possible, please refute some of the things I've said if I'm wrong. Tell me how this isn't the case. And turn down your television sets once the operators have taken you and screened you through the calls. We have a, par- a program called Partners. It's how we survive and do the things that we're doing. Uh, please take a minute and just listen to what the Partners program is about, and then we'll come back and take your calls. Hi, I'm Sean McCraney with Aletheia Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries, long-term sustainability, without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, Ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us, one 868 4686 All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. We're back. Hey, I uh, had uh, Earl from Watsonville called, wanted to know why I decided to shop back my biker hair he said was it because people started complaining no it wasn't because they started complaining it was because they stopped complaining and they got the lesson and the message and so that was time for me to look beautiful again all right oh uh, Jimmy gave insights into an LDS sacrament meeting that he recently went to on Sunday afternoon being fast and testimony meaning everyone testified of the truth of the Book of Mormon of the church of prophets and apostles, not once did I hear anyone testify of Jesus Christ. The following Sunday, a talk was given by a member of the bishopric. He said, and I quote, quote, I know that if we make the decision, the decisions that the leaders of the church guide us to make, we will find eternal life. It's really interesting, isn't it, Jimmy? You go to a Christian church, there's worship. Sometimes it's a little different than the LDS might experience. But there's worship, and then there's a message. And the message should be, ought to be couched in everything Jesus, and if not everything in Scripture that leads and points to Jesus Christ. You go to a church that claims to be Christian, and you sit in their meetings, and I just challenge any Latter-day Saint to do this. If you don't think I'm right, if you think you're Christian, just do a little test. Go into your sacrament meetings, and listen. I don't think it's possible for the LDS church to consistently, just in a month period of time, unless they've planned it and put it in programs and planned on it in in this far advanced way, to consistently teach Jesus. I don't think they can do it. I think it's counter to the spirit within them. So I think they might hit on it every now and then, but you go spend one month LDS and discount Jesus topics about Jesus specifically. Not doing this and being good like Jesus, but about Jesus count those up, then go to a Christian church for one month, four weeks, that's all we ask, and do the same comparison and see what the music says, what it's it's about, what the announcements were about, what the activities were centered on, what the message was about. You do the test and then you tell me, do you think Mormonism is Christian? Okay, we're going to go to Diana and Sandy and then we're going to come back and read something about tattoos in the Mormon church. Diana on line one. Diana, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Diana, how you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty good. My question is this, and I've wanted this to be answered, so I'm hoping that you can answer it. Supposedly, the polygamists that gave up polygamy, what did they do with those extra wives?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Todd Compton's book, In Sacred Loneliness, LDS writer, author, he writes about the history of Joseph Smith's wives, and he touches on exactly what happened with them. And so I would assume that the same thing, being him being the model, happened with those, and they probably left them to their own. There's many stories about uh, other uh, LDS men who had abandoned the practice, and they left the wives off to their own. But the thing about it is, Diana, they were left on their own anyway. I mean, when you have 10 wives, and they're all living in little huts in places around the valley, how often are you going to be able to get to them when you're trying to to serve the church? So... uh, I think they probably abandoned them, that's my general idea, if there's some other, unless they were really prominent and had the, the money to take care of them but never see them, maybe that happened in some cases, but if anyone knows otherwise, let me know.
3: Yeah,
2: because I, I wonder, I mean, a welfare system wasn't around, I wonder if the LDS church took care of them and the no. kids and fed them, or whether they, I I just don't know.
1: No, but, absolutely not, did they take care of them, now, this is why I can say that. Todd Compton's book points out that Joseph Smith, their founder's church wives, when they were pawned off to other men after he died and followed the saints out west, once that fell apart with them, they were abandoned. And the church, I mean, they had to beg for money from neighbors uh, and food from neighbors just to survive through this tough uh, climate. So, no, the LDS church certainly did not come in and support those extra wives. I am certain that did not happen. Amazing. Yeah, isn't it? Another fruit of the uh, revelations uh, to Joseph. Yep, that's
2: about right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Sean.
1: Thanks, Diana. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, this is from our friend Ashley in California. She writes, we have a friend, my sister's boyfriend, actually, who has tattoos on his legs and arms. He wanted to serve an LDS mission. However, when he went in to talk to the state president, he never got a straightforward answer if he could go or not because of the tattoos. The first thing the state president told him was that as long as they were covered up, but then he said that he'd have to check and he never, ever got back to him. And so this is when the brother-in-law, the boyfriend decided he wasn't going. She writes, I'm so thankful that as a Christian, no matter how I look, I can serve the Lord. He looks at my heart, which is what the Bible tells us to do. Now, I understand that it's scary that if you have somebody who is uh, pierced th- through their brain and their in their ears and their nose and they're covered in tattoos, that they're a scary presence. I understand that, but the the point here is really, um, the church won't let them go out and be representatives because they are representing Mormonism. Versus somebody who has those things can be used, tattoos and piercings and horrid stuff. They can go into a skate camp full of kids who are skaters and identify with them and share their heart for Jesus with those kids. And in spite of all that craziness, they can reach them. God uses us in that way. He uses prostitutes, who, people who used to be prostitutes, to reach other prostitutes. Drug addicts who used to be drug addicts to reach other drug addicts. Whatever it is, and so, the, but the Mormon view is you are representing the church, not Jesus. So therefore, you have to look a certain way. Disgustaruni. All right, let's go to John in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. John, you're on Heart of the Matter.
0: Uh, yes, I have a question. Yes, John. Um, I was reading, uh, you know, I had some time recently, and I've been a Mormon my whole life. Yeah. And uh, I was reading this book, um, I don't know if you've heard it before, it's by Richard uh, Bushman. Yes. And it's called Joseph Smith, of Rough, uh, Rough Stone Rowing. Yes. Uh, are you familiar with that book?
1: I am, I've read it.
0: That's quite a open, mind-opener, isn't it?
1: It certainly <laughs> um,
0: is. Yes, it is. I think actually it should be uh, required reading for LDS people.
1: You know what's um, amazing about that, John, is uh, I fly quite a bit. And uh, when I sit on the plane, it's the Mormon flight to California to go to Disneyland. And I see LDS people carrying that book all the time. And so they can read it. They can hear things. And it's, it doesn't matter. Bushman is pro-LDS. Bushman, oh, I like know is. And he slants it still, even amidst but he has to include some things that are factual those facts alone are enough for me to say this is a joke yeah,
0: yeah. well i i the, the one thing that the, the that uh, i couldn't believe was when they were talking about the, the papyrus um that they had uh what was that on um
1: yeah the egyptian the Book of abraham yeah uh,
0: papyrus you know and how they were mummy egyptian papyrus and they ended up being funeral papyrus yeah and how the church actually, I read another book where the church actually had them in their, at Brigham Young University, in the display cases. Yeah. Uh, that said that uh, they actually had the papyrus and approved proved that uh, that George Smith uh, could translate them. Yeah. And then when they later on found out that that wasn't possible, that they was actually just Egyptian, uh, and that Joseph Smith had actually uh, lied about the way he tra- translated that. Yeah. And proved it. To- in their book, it says, well, you know, the, the people that come out and try to blame that away, the church just doesn't say anything about it. Right. You and, know, a, good, and,
1: and, a really good call, John. Uh, a book you might consider, not maybe not you or, or anybody who's interested in that subject, is by His Own Hand upon Papyrus. Uh, it's right. available at UTLM, and uh, it's an excellent book that shows you the absolute fraud that that Book of Abraham is.
0: Right, and then you know, it would be kind of interesting. Um, you know, people ought to read that and think about that.
1: They ought to. Hey, thanks okay. so much. Take care. God bless. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Anna in Farmington on Line 3. Anna, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Anna.
4: Hi. Um, I just wanted to tell you that um, I got digging in my uh, genealogy and um I found that one of my um, ancestors who came from England, it was a great great grandmother. She um when she came from England she was married and sailed in the I think it was the Kirtland Temple to uh, Samuel Smith. And um after being sealed to him she was given to another man and she had two children by this other man. Yeah. There was no divorce, nothing. Yeah. And she had five children by this other man and these two boys that she had by the brother Smith were given the second husband's last name Wow. and there was never a divorce or anything from the first husband, and she was sealed to the second husband, also in the temple.
1: Isn't that amazing?: yeah. I tell you, Anna, they used to trade women like like uh, like baseball cards.
4: Well, it, she was treated like a cow or a horse.
1: Another good analogy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just true. And if you think it's not true, I'm not making this up. You know, read read uh Compton. Todd Compton in Sacred Loneliness and see what happened with Joseph Smith's own wives. He took other men's wives. They did this stuff. Brigham then took the wives that he took from other men and made them his own when Joseph was uh killed. I mean, and then they passed them off and passed them around. It was like the spiritual orgy. So, uh physical orgy maybe but not in the sense that we think of it but it was just unbelievable the way they were treated
4: well, just like chattel I would have gotten on the would have gotten on the first stage coach headed for the Oregon territories or I'd have gone back to England and worked in one of the workhouses or something but
1: Well you know what Anna
4: the problem
1: was once Brigham Young got them out here and he moved them out so far, they were so alone and isolated, that they couldn't make it. And even if they, I mean, th- there was no stagecoach, and even if they tried to leave by stagecoach, Brigham Young made it very difficult. He would say they owned the church immigration fund money and couldn't leave until they repaid it. They couldn't make any money here to repay it. He, he did everything to keep this his little fiefdom out in the middle of the desert so that no one could escape, just like any modern cultist would do, just like Jonestown, just like Waco. Like any modern cultist, he did the same thing, and it was almost impossible for these poor women to escape. So they just lived with it.
4: What a horrifying life. I've seen pictures of her, and she has the, the most downtrodden, beat-down look on her face. And her, her father was a barrister for the, you know, the, wow. in the Queen's Court.
1: Wow. What a shame. What a tragedy. Yeah. Thank you so much for that call. Really appreciate it, Anna. Okay.
4: Thank
1: you. And God bless you. Bye bye.
4: Okay. Bye
1: bye. We're going to Scott in Boise. Scott, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Hi, Sean. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, we read the book. Uh, no one knows my life. I think. <laughs>
1: uh, no man knows my history.
5: History. That was it. Yeah. And it, and uh, I always had a question, and you kind of touched on it last week about if I always thought. Uh, after reading that, that Joseph Smith used a searing searing stone to uh, to get each letter of every word uh, div- from divinely from God. And so my question was always, well, if it was if it was that way, how could they the Mormons explain that the uh, Book of Mormon has changed over the years? Well, you said that, he did that uh, up to a certain point, and then he just kind of started downloading uh, pages and pages or something. But is there part of the Book of Mormon that still would have been um, done uh, letter by letter? And then and if so, how would they explain that that part of the book has, has changed over the years?
1: I don't think they. Uh, you can uh, delineate or differentiate within the text of the Book of Mormon what was done by virtue of his uh, letter-by-letter translation uh, with the plates in hand versus his seer stone translation with the plates uh, not even in the room. To, uh, so I'm not sure if you, you could ever tell within the text when that happened. Now, maybe some Mormon scholars could tell you, but I, don't th- I think the mistakes were rife throughout the entire book. Uh, so that would disprove right now that the letter-by-letter translation theory—that God gave him every letter and half of them were half of the words were misspelled. So we know right. that didn't happen.
5: Yeah. Hey. So how can they defend that?
1: I don't know. You know what, Scott? It doesn't, I don't know, but it's a good point, and I hope it's getting other viewers to think, how could you defend that? If God gave them the direct translation or he had the word scroll before his eyes, how come there are so many uh, literary and even spelling and punctuation and grammatical errors in that? Um, right. You know what's happening right now, and I'm going to find out more about this. Someone told me about it Sunday night, is there is a scholar at Stanford University who has taken the writings of Oliver Cowdery, who was a cohort uh, scribe for Joseph Smith, the writings of Sidney Rigdon, and the writings of some other uh, authors and people around that time and put them in a computer. Then he also entered the writings of the Book of Mormon and the writings of the Doctrine and Covenants, and he proposed this paper recently that said most of the Book of Mormon and most of the Doctrine and Covenants were not from Joseph Smith's hand at all. They were from Oliver Cowdery and Sidney Rigdon and other people that probably gave him the stuff to say. He was like the front man. He was the guy up front doing it and saying it, but they were the minds behind the whole thing from the beginning. It's a theory, but we're going to investigate and see if it holds any water.
5: That will be great. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Scott. Great call. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Beth in Taylorsville on line one. Beth, you're on Heart of the Matter. Beth?
3: Hello, Sean.
1: Hi, Beth. You're on the air.
3: Okay. Um, I have a question, but I'd like to say a little bit about myself, if I could. I was uh, LDS. I was born into LDS, uh, and uh, I never had a Book of Mormon or a Bible or anything until I was 33 years old, and uh, I sent away for pamphlets, and I listened to speakers like Earl Roberts and... Billy Graham. And I went to different kinds of churches, and I never did understand the LDS Church. I wasn't a, a good member. Uh huh. Um, and my sister and I. Uh, well, this is a question I have. Uh, my sister, I was listening in one evening, and uh, somebody called in and wanted to know if, if Jesus was uh, practicing polygamy. Oh. When
1: he was on the earth. Yeah, we have, correct, we, we have some great quotes, I don't have them with me, from uh, LDS Apostles. I think Brigham Young, too, if memory serves, but definitely Apostles, who said that absolutely. Yes, that Mary and Martha were two of his wives. And uh, it was absolutely... He polygamy? Yes, that he practiced polygamy, yes.
3: Yeah, I can hardly hear you, but... Um, my sister and I almost got in a fight because she said Sean would never say anything like that. And I said, I, I'm positive he said that. He said that. Uh, yeah. It, he, you, you said that your exact words were, it could have been.
0: So
1: oh, I no, 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 no. Oh, wait, wait. So let, let me clear this matter sister, up. We're both
3: I, absolute Christian. No, 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 wait.
1: Beth? Yeah. I do not believe that Jesus was a polygamist. Yeah. I do not believe Jesus was married. I do not believe anything. I am just reporting what the LDS have said in the past. Uh
3: huh.
1: Is that clear?
3: Yeah, I think so. I could hardly hear you, but.
1: I'm so. Well, that's part of the problem, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay,
3: thank well. You. We I, love this show very much.
1: Oh, uh, thank you so much, Beth. Well, I hope that clears
3: it up. I hope so, too. Thank you. Maybe my sister was listening. Okay, too. bye. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Oh, boy. That's wild. We're going to Patty and Willa. Patty's a first-time caller. Patty, you're on Heart of the Matter.
2: Thank you. Um, I was, like I was telling the woman that I talked to just a minute ago, I, found, I came across an old book, a priesthood book, um, for, for the seminary class, I believe. And I come across a chapter about the welfare plan. And in 1831, it says here that you... I'll, I'll read it to you out loud, okay? Okay. The provision of the law... Of the consecration was, thou will remember the poor and, and consecrate all your properties for their support. And it goes on to say, you go further down, that, <clears throat> that the property was to be laid at the bishop's feet. And then they would be deeded back property, just <clears throat> enough for their, their families and them, and if they quit the Church, they can keep that property. But they lose everything. Yeah. That's, you know, my, that, that's my point. And I don't know if they're still doing it to this day, but in my opinion, that's how they got rich.
0: Oh, but yeah. I, it what?
2: is. I mean, I'm going through some court dealings right now right, concerning this because I couldn't get anywhere, you know, because yeah. this is Utah. But anyway, I was telling her also about a passage from Galatians that I was reading a couple weeks ago. And do you mind if I read a little bit of it over the air?
1: How long is it?
2: It's not very long at all. It's just, it just makes one point. One point Make it quick. Cover. Okay. I marvel at that you are turning away so soon from him who has called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want you to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That should be enough.
1: Yeah, it should. And that's an excellent uh, verse, Patty. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Warren in Syracuse, first-time caller. Warren, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hello, Warren. You're on the air.
6: Yes. Hey, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, I've heard that the uh, Mormons believe that uh, Joseph Smith is now a, uh, a god sitting on either the right or the left hand of God. Is this true?
1: Uh, They don't say right or left hand, but they they do. There are quotes that talk about him being a god. Brigham Young said you have to pass by him uh, to enter into the celestial kingdom. They have a song that says that Joseph Smith is now mingling with gods. He now plans for his brethren. Okay. So so that kind of puts him in that seat.
6: All right. And if that's the case, why do they still worship him as a man?
1: Yeah, well, they, they say they don't, uh, and, and, and i, I got to be careful here so that I don't met, let the LDS viewers come in and attack me for something that I say wrong. Worship, right. worship is an interesting word. They don't worship him in terms of, uh, oh, hail, hail, worship, but they don't worship Jesus that way either. So, uh-huh. But they do lift him up as the most important man to ever have walked on this earth, Save Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith himself said he has done more uh, for the uh, uh, salvation of man than others. And he says that even the, the saints walked away from Jesus, but they haven't walked away from him. So there is kind of a double speak that goes on with him. But as far as worshiping, it would be tough to say uh, in a, from a Mormon perspective. If I was LDS listening to the show, I would become very angry if, if I heard the guy say they worship Joseph. In that Uh sense, they don't. But they revere him so much that it's almost like worship. And they do believe he's mingling with God's planning for the brethren of his church. Okay. Does that help?
5: That makes sense to
6: me why you see all the banners and all the signs and everything that always say praise to the man.
1: Yeah. Yeah, praise to the man. They celebrated his birthday like no other uh, yeah, and you know what's interesting, and I think I haven't been to every state in the Union nor lived in every one, but this is the only state that they use billboards to just dis- dis- uh, just honor men who have died. I mean, you're driving right. down the I-15 and they have these billboards and it, these giant pictures of a guy who, who started a printing company in Panguitch. And it's George C. fellow men. The date of his death and birth, a great man, a fantastic father, you know, I don't understand this. It's this right. man worship, and they do it with their prophet, their apostles, and they did it with Joseph. Okay. Yeah, great call, right. Warren. I appreciate
5: it. Right, thanks for your answers. Thank Have you. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: We're going to Jerry and Ogden, who's a first-time caller. Jerry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Oh,
4: not too bad. Uh, my question is, uh, why do, uh, I am LDS, uh-huh. and I, I feel like I don't know anything, and I've been reading the Bible the past few years, Praise and God. it occurs to me, thank you, it occurs to me that uh, in the Bible it says, leave the dead to me, you know, for the dead are mine, and I, but why do the LDS people do um, work for the dead in the temple?
1: like baptism and other (laughs) things. Jerry, it's a really good question, and it stems back to Joseph Smith and his imagination and his need to provide certainty to his family. Joseph had a brother named Alvin who died without being baptized. And shortly after Alvin died, suddenly, a a preacher came to their house and told his mother that he was in hell because he wasn't baptized. Well, so Joseph, through his imagination in time, came up with baptism for the dead. Now, there is a passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about baptism for the dead, but it is not in any way does it mean what Joseph Smith made it seem. From that, Joseph could take a twig and build an entire house out of it. He then took the idea, if you could baptize people for the dead, WE'RE GOING TO INTRODUCE THIS TEMPLE CEREMONY. WELL, WE CAN ALSO HAVE THEM MARRIED. AND THEN WE CAN ALSO DO TEMPLE WORK FOR THEM. AND THIS oh. WILL ke- AND SO THEY DID THIS WHOLE THING, AND IT'S BUILT ON JOSEPH SMITH'S MIND, TIED IN WITH MASONIC TEMPLES, AND IT KEEPS EVERYONE BUSY. AND IN ORDER TO GET INTO THAT TEMPLE TO DO THE WORK, YOU GOT TO PAY THE tithing. AND SO That's IT'S correct. JUST... YEAH, IT'S JUST that, THAT WHOLE DEAL. BUT YOU ARE RIGHT, JERRY. BIBLICALLY SPEAKING, GOD takes care of everything, including life and loss of life, and those who go to him. He is in charge, and so I think you're on to something with reading that Bible and searching and finding out the truth for yourself.
4: Thank you so much, Sean. Thank,
2: Thank
1: you. I God really bless. I appreciate
6: your time. God bless you.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Rick in Salt Lake City. He's LDS. Rick, you're on Heart of the Matter.
6: Hi. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing
1: well, Rick. How are you?
6: Well, I'm, I'm a little disturbed about uh, sorry you know,
1: there's what, help for that
6: what's that <laughs> that I'm was sorry? a joke rick <laughs> uh listen i was uh sitting uh, well it's been a little while about a month ago i was sitting down uh with some people at uh, liberty park and we were talking about pretty soon the subject came to religion and some people were talking about you and i have seen your program a couple of times and one man said uh well, you didn't know that uh, he cheated on his uh, family, his children and his wife, by committing adultery. Is that true?
1: Wow, Rick, that's, that's pretty bold. Yeah, it's true. It is true, you did do that? Yeah, and I, I do it uh, still to this day. Every time I put myself in front of them, every time I look at a woman with lust in my heart, I commit adultery, which is what Jesus said. So it's absolutely true.
6: Well, if you were a born-again Christian, how could you do that to your family?
1: Well, Rick, um, I am a man of flesh, just like you are, and I make mistakes, and thank God that Jesus is there to save me from them. So where it seems like I should come on here and present that, where I should only be trusted in terms of my relationship with Jesus by my holiness, I am actually probably... One of the worst men on earth, relative to who they are as a man, well, you and, know, you, and what you I, I do, Rick. All
5: the
6: mistakes of these early Mormon church leaders. Wait a Given second. That, wait. A, wait. Let you, me are just, aren't, you fin- Rick, aren't you hypocritical? are you hypocritical of pointing out all of their Rick, mistakes? That Rick, you have your own.
1: Rick, let me just finish, and then I'll let you talk. Uh, so I come on and I talk about how Jesus saved me from my flesh and how he helped me overcome my natural propensities, which Mormonism could never do. Now, in terms of religious leaders in the Mormon Church, I do not attack them for their failures. I attack them for making their failures doctrine. Do you understand the difference?
6: That's only a difference in your mind.
1: A difference in my mind? What are you talking about?
6: I'm talking about that you are, a lot of times, twisting things around to fit your own propaganda. For Explain to me how. Give me show. one
1: thing, Rick. Huh? Give me one thing that you're talking about instead of speaking generally. Give me... Everything.
6: S- everything that you give do... Give me one. you point out the failures of the leaders and of these people when they were struggling to come to the West and when they were trying to fight off all the people, the adversaries, that were killing them left and right, and you're pointing out all... You're such a hypocrite.
1: Again, but, Rick,
6: again, such give a me... And it, Rick, failures, and you're pointing out the failures of all these other
1: people. Rick, I point out their failures relative to Mormon doctrine, okay? Not as, as regular people. I'm surrounded by people who have failures. I'm a person who has failures. You're a person who has failures. I don't blame Joseph Smith because he had failures. I blame Joseph Smith when he said that God said it's okay to take a 14-year-old girl and make her his wife. Are
6: there failures in Christianity along the I history of I just admitted there are,
1: but they're not when it comes to doctrine. There's the difference, Rick. You follow a religion. Oh,
6: nothing. What a minute. Constantinople changed everything in 329 AD. He didn't change scripture. He didn't change scripture.
1: Huh? He didn't change scripture.
6: The hell he didn't. He changed everything to fit his needs because he wanted to control the, what the he Roman didn't? Empire. The what he didn't? the holy roman empire he wanted to control he didn't all the different factions of christianity he did not change so scripture they were going in different directions Rick, and he changed everything and made it uniform and okay. then along the way it changed and, again and again
1: so you you think you think con you think constantine was this terrible guy that all the christians we follow constantine but you're going to follow the, these guys who the, took 14 year old wives
6: he's the first in a long line of people who Things to fit and so existence. you continue
1: to trust men?
6: He what?
1: You continue to trust men knowing that guys like Constantine were out there? That's why I'm
6: calling you because
1: I don't trust you. I don't want you to trust me. I want you to trust the Lord. You trust, you trust all your leaders. I don't want you to trust me. I don't want anyone to trust me. But I want you to trust the Lord, Rick. It
6: has you know, to your call. Let me tell you something. Hey, hey, hey. It has to do with my own personal faith. Your own personal faith stinks. Okay, I'm sorry. But you you believe... You are an evil, evil person. Well, I might be an evil person. I I have no problem with that. I try... I pray one day you'll have the chance to turn it around.
1: I pray one day if I turn it around, I burn in hell forever. That if I turn it around and go back to Mormonism as my source of salvation, that I burn in hell forever along with you. You'll go to the lowest kingdom. I know that. Well, you know what, my friend? You have not brought anything substantive to this table. All you've All right. brought it, is ad hominem attacks. I, it, I shouldn't bring, before Rick, slime. bring something substantive to the table if you're going to attack me. Because right now it's just against the man. Give me something else, Rick. Okay, we are out of time. And, uh, boy, that was a nice ending call. I wish we would have called at the beginning. LDS call at the beginning next week. Come back and join us here on Heart of the Matter.
0: My Rusty King